They say that life is full of opportunities, right? So why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day? I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We are so excited to have you here today. I have a special guest and you are totally going to love him. So Dave Grant is who I have today, and I'm going to share just a little bit about him, and then I'm going to let him share the rest of the story. So Dave was born and raised in Northern Germany. He was a, He's a single dad with a 14-year-old daughter. He loves psychology and engineering, and he has experienced a fair amount of difficulty in his childhood growing up, and he always turns to God to find his answers to his questions, and I love that, Dave. So Dave, I'm going to let you share the rest of that story. So tell us a little bit about what was the difficulty that you experienced as a child? Well, like you said, I was, I was raised in, in Southern Germany. And because of the war that occurred in World War II, it messed a lot of people up emotionally. And I unfortunately, at the age of about four and a half to six and a half, been molested by my friend's stepdad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can only imagine that he was the way he was because of, you know, him growing up um, through the war and all the traumas that he had faced and who knows what happened to him. But so, yeah, I was, I was molested from the age of, you know, four and a half to six and a half. And at the same time that I was going through that, my mom had received notice that her sister, who she was closest to, uh, her sister Barbara had come down with, or she had been diagnosed with leukemia. And in 1984, uh, in 1983, when she was notified that, nobody, you don't live. And so she began to emotionally pull away from me. At the same time, I was being molested. And so not only was I going through the trauma of a traumatic experience of being molested, you know, multiple times, but then also having my mom emotionally pull away from me, you know, mm-hmm. and at the age of hard. five and six years old, that emotional mind, that psychological mind doesn't understand, you know, why, what's going on is going on and how to deal with it. So then when I was eight, my dad's contract with Lockheed come to an end and we moved from, so I, I grew up in a town just south of Munich called Bad Ibling. So we moved from there and moved uh, to California, back to California because so I was well, born in Germany, but moved back to California. And then, and that was in February of 86. And then when I was around 12 years old, my neighbor across the street had uh, molested, or he'd raped me at the age of 12. And then again at 14. So there's, there's been, you know, oh, no, and then when I was in sixth grade in 1989, I got kicked back into fifth grade because 
my sixth grade teacher, I remember spelling the word machine and he was uh-huh. walking by my desk and he's like, that's not the way you spell it, stupid. So there was a lot of, you know, self-doubt already, self-shaming. Mm-hmm. And then I have an authoritative figure calling me stupid. And then that, you know, made me reflect on when I was about five and a half, we had come back from a family vacation from Denmark. And my dad had bought me this little teddy bear that had a brown skin suit, a uh, fur suit on him. And so I remember taking off the cap of a syrup bottle and I was sitting next to the cabinet on the, on the floor and I was going to act like I was feeding the bear a syrup because <laughs> that's what bear's like, right? And so I'd accidentally knocked the bottle over and my mom walks by me and kicks me in the, in the rear end and she's like, good job, stupid. Oh. So, you know, and it's like, you know, what a, what a mean, cold-hearted thing to say. But so, all, you know, oh, and then my dad was kind of harsh on me the way he spoke to me because he was of high intelligence and his level of expectations for his children were just through the roof. And so there was a lot of, you know, are you stupid? And funny on my, we're not funny. It's funny, interesting on my end, because as I tell my story, I know people are like, wow, that really sucks. But the thing is, is when things like that happen in life, it is because the individual who's doing the name calling or the physical abuse sees something absolutely amazing, powerful, and great in the person who they're abusing. And the reason they do what they do is because they don't want that individual to supersede them because they feel so low themselves. So they want to take everybody down. And so they do it to those who are, I would say, more special in life. I feel and believe that those who tend to go through the roughest times also tend to be, many of them tend to be of uh, higher intelligence. I mean, their level of creativity. And the reason their creativity, I think, it's, it, it's so, it is the way it is. It's such a high level because of how those situations change the modalities of how we think. So that way we can survive those traumatic experiences and having to figure out, you know, a way to, you know, continue on on a day-to-day basis. I totally it, agree with that. Yeah. Like, you know, I said before, you know, I love psychology and I look at, you know, in depth, the, the way we think, why we are the way we are, what has it been that we have experienced on an individual basis. And then based on that individual, how that, you know, experience has changed their life and how it changes how they interact with others and how they learn. And I mean, everything. Yeah, I agree with that. I was abused as a kid too. And, and you learn and you figure things out, don't you? I learned a lot on my own. It's so interesting that I kind of push myself through those times. And did I have a hard time? Yes. Just like you did. You had a hard time. It was very difficult. But you learn how to take care of yourself, don't you? You learn how to move beyond that. And I'm also very fascinated with psychology. So it's just interesting that I wonder if that's a pattern of people that have, and I haven't noticed that yet, but I'm wondering if it's not a pattern of trying to figure out how people's brain work, you know, why would they do such a thing? And I, I love that you actually said, that it wasn't his fault. Like this friend of your dad's that molested you when you were four. No, it was, it was my, it was my, uh, my friend's stepdad. 
friend's your friend's stepdad. stepdad. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah. your friend's stepdad that molested you between four and six years of age, you actually were giving him almost like it's not his fault. You know, he went through a hard time and you know, yeah, when I say that, I mean it is his fault. I mean, he did what he did, right? Right. But because of as much as there's two halves of the brain, the left and right side, there's also the conscious and subconscious, right? right. And and that's you know, that's that's a, another topic I could I'd love to get into, but right. Yeah. I, I totally uh, agree. I kind of get what you're saying, but what I meant by that is that you were like not totally just like angry and frustrated and like he did this. It was like, you know, maybe he's got some issues too. Well, you know, I I knew, I remember taking a shower when I was 13 years old, one particular day. And I was, you know, in the shower looking at my tile wall and I was like, dude, this guy, this kid isn't normal. And I, I was not normal. And I didn't even... The thing is that at that age, I had completely and totally blocked out the molestation. Every once in a while, I'd get uh, glimpses of this and that, but like it wasn't something that it felt like it was a connection to anything in my history. It was mm-hmm. just thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's how mine was too. It was yeah. just like coming up little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was born and raised in the LDS Church in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and. When I was 19, or when I was well, actually almost 20, I went on my church mission, and they sent me to Brazil. It's a very sexual country. So oh, I, yeah. I went there, ended up having sex a year into my mission. I got sent home, excommunicated. I had been caught having sex with my girlfriend after I'd come home. And my mom's like, you need to go to counseling because you're like a sexual predator. And you always want, you're like sex crazy, sexual monster. Have you found that, I found that that's part of, you know, when you're sexually molested, a lot of times that is one of the traits that people, that happens, you know, you are, you're sexually active already. You've already got all these stimulations that are happening. And, and so you, you do become sexually active early in life. And so when was it at the point that you actually started seeing these like visions of what was occurring when you were younger? I would say probably like around the age of 10, 11 years old. So you were early. You were young. I, I actually blocked mine for a while. So I think that's probably even harder, though, I guess, as a kid to start remembering some of those things. Well, it, it wasn't so, well, you know, I guess part of me wants to say, no, you didn't remember. It was just visions. I, I mean, I guess I did remember there were, you know, when I, the, the vision would come up, or the mm-hmm. memory would come up and you see that scene, it was like, it was a memory, but it wasn't mm-hmm. right. There is, there is, I could, I could remember, but there was no emotion attached to it. And so because I didn't feel any emotion then it must've not really happened. It was just now right. maybe just a thought, right? Okay. I totally get that. Because too, the subconscious because... mind goes in there to yeah. protect you. Like, no, no, that didn't uh-huh. happen. Right. Let's, let's, yep. let's, let's forget about this. It didn't happen. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you really do. I think your mind blocks it so good that you almost feel like, am I imagining that? Or did that really happen? Because I thought that too. Yeah. That, you know, but I mean, I was seeing vivid, like, (laughs) things, you know, that that I was like, how would I know that? And there were things as a kid, I don't know about you, but there were things as a kid for me that I would do that I thought a young kid would not be doing at this age, right? Yeah. I I started uh, masturbating or beating off when I was Uh 11. Uh-huh. Uh, I had sex when I was 14, 
Yeah. So I, there were things that were totally. Yeah, different. I was, I was, I was, you know, looking at porn a lot. At, you know, at 12, 13, 14 years old. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, very sexually active. And it's because those traumatic experiences twist the mind. Right. right? It, it takes something of innocence, of purity, youthful and clean, well, innocent, right? <laughs> and it just <laughs> twists the hell out of it. Right. And, you know, as much as God exists, so does uh, the devil. There's, opposi- oh, yeah. oh, there's yeah. opposition He'll in all things. Right? He'll use that against you. Absolutely. So you were molested when you were four to six and a half years old. Then your mom kind of left this mind. When her sister yeah, got mostly, mostly she just kind of checked she just out, slowly shut down. Right? Yeah, and I didn't understand that. And I, I just like, you know, dude, my mom, mom doesn't love me, you right. know, she even kicks me in the back, calls me stupid. And I mean, I cried many times. And then mm-hmm. I remember when, when I again, when I was five, a lot of crap going on five, and it happens to be my daughter's favorite number. Oh my gosh, my mom had taken off to come a uh, flat to California from Germany, and I remember one night just screaming at the top of my lungs, and I was in bed. Mom, why did you leave me? I want you to come back. Mm-hmm. And you know, at, at five years old, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to go through, right? Because right. at that age, it's like I would say it's about that age where you know, boy falls in love with mom, right, mm-hmm. and picks up that feminine side of life, you know, to, to bring in that balance. And so, you know, for so many years, there was a huge void in my thirty-seven years. There was a huge void in my life. For 34 years, rather, of mom doesn't love me. And I didn't have a good relationship with her basically from that that point on. You know, and then so I so I got after after I'd started going to therapy about two months into it, uh, my therapist says, you know, you're showing signs of and everything you're telling me, you're you're showing symptoms of someone who has been molested. And immediately that quick I said, Nope. And right after I said that, there was a, a massive vision in my head about, you know, even my friend being involved with us and his dad or his stepdad. And, you know, from that point forward, the visions became more frequent. They became longer lasting. And, you know, I would just sit there and deny it, deny it. And fast forward many years, May 17th of 2014, I did my first ayahuasca ceremony. So tell the, the listeners what that is. Cause so ayahuasca, it is a sacred medicine. It's a plant medicine. It's uh, made from a, a vine and a leaf that comes from Peru. And it is a hallucinogen medicine used to get people. It's basically a vehicle to get you into your, sub, your subconscious mind, into your conscious mind, and to help you deal with traumatic experiences from the past. So is this legal? It is illegal in the United States as long as it is done on an Indian reservation or it is part of uh, religious practices, then it is legal use. So there's, there are churches across the U.S. There's some in Oregon. There's some here in California. There's Kentucky or Tennessee, Florida, Texas. So legal, and it's something that you take that actually well, gets you to get into that subconscious it's West legal West. on the reservation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did it. I did it on an Indian reservation. Uh, I've done it seven times. It is said that you know you can go on YouTube and find it, but there have been many psychiatrists and psychologists who have also ventured into the world of of psychedelics for therapy and mm-hmm. discover what the benefits of you know these plants are. 
And many have said that, you know, one ayahuasca ceremony, which is about eight hours, is the equivalent of 10 years of therapy, psychotherapy. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the thing is, is, you know, in the Bible, it talks about how God wants man to have joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many times I've, I've pondered this, this scripture and it's like, you know, how is it that God wants me to be happy when I, you know, something like this has happened to me? Or that there are things that I know personally, people who have gone through, oh man, so, so much worse. And then you have those people who are, you know, valiant to this country and love this country so much that they're willing to put their life on the line for us. And so they go and they, they serve in our military and, you know, then they see traumas in war and then they are now suffering from PTSD. And there's so many, many right and so how are these people to have joy if all these things are going on and there's nothing to help them out you know with their situation and you know i I guess this whole journey started with smoking cannabis and the first time i smoked weed was uh, october 5th 2005 i remember that day very well Mm -hmm. and i had an amazing experience. It was also scary. And then January 22nd of 2010, my bro- I was living with my brother because I just started into a divorce with my wife. She had kicked me out of the house, or my ex-wife. And I had this insane experience, this out-of-body experience, just even with cannabis. And I was able, I, my entire life flashed before me. And it was, well, it wasn't really a flash. It was more like a journey. But it was like, you know, probably a half an hour maybe where I just was able to see every aspect of my life and everything that had happened started to make sense. And I'm not saying, you know, go out there and just get high as a kite, but, you know, for me, it was a massive eye-opening experience because it was the, the first door that opened up where I was now beginning to want to accept what happened. And it was the beginning process of me healing. Right. And yeah, by no means do are we saying go out, try no. stuff. No, not at no. all. But it, for you, it was just a way that you were able to get to that subconscious and really understand and remember a yeah. lot of the things that actually happened to you. Yeah. So, so now, you know, here you are going through life. Now you're at 14 and you are, you're raped by a 14 year old boy. No, he was 16. Or uh, he was 16. You yeah, were, 16. you were 14. Yeah, it was twice, and it was it was in his bedroom, and he just said, "Bend over," and wow, oh my gosh! So, wow, uh, and here this older boy—he's probably a friend of yours, I'm guessing at the time—and you're like, "What is just going on? What is happening?" Yeah, did you think to like run out of the room, or were you afraid? Or yeah, I I I didn't do anything. I just um, I was like, "Well, here we go again." Oh, so it was almost like you felt like here, Whatever. yeah, yeah. Whatever. Wow. Looking back, why is this happening to me? Right when it was happening, looking back, and again, I'm going to say this and clean it up, but I understand why he had done what he'd done. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, his dad was extremely abusive, and he was—he he didn't hide it from the neighborhood. So I, I grew up in the hills of Saratoga. There's, you know, my neighbor was granted across the street, but he was also probably a thousand feet from my door. And so, you know, a quarter mile or, or more, or about a quarter mile. And like, 
you know, you could hear across the, well, it was a small little valley, but you could hear him getting beat by a hose, by a belt. And oh no, God. dad, you know, wow. so there Terrible. was, there was no shame on, on the dad's head. But, so he's being dominated by his dad and sees me as the, the weakling. And so when I'm over and, you know, dad's gone to work and mom's out doing whatever, you know, and here just playing, then it's like, okay, well now I get to dominate because I feel like such crap about myself. I need to feel bigger and better. Right. And so did that to me. So, you know, those things. So how'd you get from that and those situations that happened to you? And I mean, of course, you know, when terrible things like that happen, a lot of times it takes people into a deep, dark place. Did you get to that dark place ever? Or were you just kind of able to just keep yourself I was, out of there? I was swimming in the river of denial and trying to enjoy it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it messed up the way I learned. And so I was having difficulties in school. And so I was just like, one thing I, I did like doing, you know, looking back, I mean, I've thought about this many, many times, but, you know, I like I liked going out and, yeah, shooting birds with my BB gun or shooting squirrels. And so, you know, I would take out my aggressions in hunting. In other ways. Yeah, in other ways. And going out with my dog, uh, that I had, my beagle that I had at the time, and we'd just go out just exploring the woods and just getting out in the way. You know, I remember four years old looking up. So there's a, a big um, concrete portion of our fence and I remember sitting on the top of it four years old looking up in the sky and seeing an airplane and saying to or thinking to myself I want to be up there I want to fly and you know looking back it's like you know why did I want to fly it's because I didn't want to be down on the ground where I was being you know molested and all the hurt and the trauma was occurring I wanted to be up and away from everything and free like a bird right so it was just a day-to-day, -day, you know, don't think about it. There was a lot of, you know, sexual self-abuse that I was doing as a child that was affecting me, um, you know, because not only am I doing it to myself to, you know, take away the pain, but as, uh, as I'm trying to take away the pain, I'm also, you know, kind of beating myself up physically, and which then causes me, it's just a cyclical cycle down, and which then leads to, you know, other issues. Like, you know, I was a bit of a liar and I just didn't tell the truth ever and never really got in trouble with the law other than, you know, speeding tickets like any kid gets, but never, you know, got into massive fights where I was having to go to jail or giving something to a, you know, juvie or, you know, stealing anything, you know, because I was, I would say the thing that kept me from really losing my mind is going to church every Sunday and having that foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. That was the belief in God too. and the belief in Jesus Christ and Him, mm -hmm. you know, paying for our sins. And granted, you know, as much as I believed it then, I definitely believe it now. I didn't fully comprehend, you know, the whole, everything that, that Christ really did for us and how it was, even at that point, was holding my foundation in life. Because if it wasn't for me going to church, I definitely wouldn't be the individual I am today. Wow. I love so, that. I would say, I you know, I agree. I think you, you know, when you go through something like that, you really have to find a higher purpose, a higher yeah. power to kind of focus on. And, and I did the exact same thing. I, you know, church was my saving grace. I mean, yeah. man, 
I, I look back and I think, wow, I don't know how I could have got through all that without counseling and without all the other things. It was, it was my God, my, you know, yeah. prayers and, and just time with the Lord to work through all of that. And I'm now helping people every day. Just now I want to know a little bit more about what, what you are doing now and you got yourself from, I mean, through all of that, you, you've learned what happened to you and all of these things, but then what kind of happened from there? Cause you said you didn't spiral down into a deep place, but what happened at that point? Well, you know, everything that has occurred, you know, obviously it's for a reason. Um, and it's, it's all of the, the development of who I am. And the thing is, is the, the biggest turning point was my experience with ayahuasca because i wanted to like finish off on that but you know so my my first experience was i would say the cornerstone to to them all because in that ceremony i had seen myself in front of this big wall this wall was it was a big wall like huge wood stakes mm -hmm. uh wood poles and there was a, these massive doors and there was fire you know torches on each side of the gate and I saw myself as this little guy just standing in front of the gate. And then above that, you know, from an overview, I saw myself and I was like, look, you got two, you got two ways to look at yourself. You can either look at yourself like a coward, tuck your tail and run away. Or two, you can look at yourself as a warrior with a happy heart, scared of what's going on inside, but knowing that you're going to be victorious and you're going to make it through this. And that experience has played such a pivotal role in so many um, other events in my life after that. And it has given me hope to for the change that I still have yet coming. I mean, even at the age of 41, um, granted, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm getting there. And it's, I remember when I was in my mid twenties, I was working on with a, a company where I had the potential of making a ridiculous amount of money. And I'm so glad that that money never came because had it, I'd be dead today. I would have guaranteed I would have got into drugs and overdose and lost it. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things are delayed for a reason. And I know a lot of people lose a lot of hope. And even at, you know, at a young age, the thing is, is that, you know, you, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, tomorrow may bring me everything that I'm looking for, a lot of things that I'm looking for. And so, you know, if I uh, try to end things today, I could be messing up so many, I would be messing up so many other people who are, who love me. You know, I am somebody's somebody. Mm -hmm. And you know, no matter where people are in life, it, it's a crazy thing, this life, you know, and how everything happens and how those, everything's that happen change can change and guide who, who we are and where we're going in life. Right. So, true. so would you say the, the biggest transition for you that helped you get past all of this was that very thing that you just talked about where you saw yourself as a warrior and you saw yourself being able to do great things. Like you visualized yeah. yourself being this warrior and just being able to just you know, what, what was it? Did you see yourself was, going no, over it, that wall? Did you see yourself going <laughs> through the door? I mean, you know, it, you it see? was very interesting. You asked that. So in that, in that ceremony, I had, you know, I began to uh, try to beat through the, the, the wall, the doors. Okay. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, 
that first ceremony, I wasn't able to make it through. Mm -hmm. And I talked to this, uh, the guy that uh, he and his wife who uh, run the ceremony. And I'd asked him, I said, you know, do you think I'll ever experience that again? And he said, you know, I'm not going to say no, but it's very rare that that does ever happen. And, you know, but he said, you know, you could, you could re-experience that journey in your next ceremony and complete it. And interestingly enough, my second ceremony, I re-encountered that, that same wall. And this time I, or that time I went through it and was able to face my past and to, you know, make amends with it to, to basically kill it and mm-hmm. be done with and it and move, move on. Move on. Right. And so I was I love that. I love that visualization that yeah. you had and being able to see that and see yourself move forward. And I, I agree. I think once you see it, once you feel it and, and it really is in your, just ingrained in you, like I can do this. Well, and see, it's not even just seeing it and experiencing it. It's, it's seeing, experiencing it and then embracing it. And right. Because there's, there's so that. many, there's so many things that happen where we just hate. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, hate is such a powerful word and I, I do my bad dead level best to never use it just because of how strong it really is. But, you know, there are so many people that, that say they hate this aspect of the, themselves right. and it's like, or I deny this part of me. And, you know, there's, there's no longer parts of me that are aspects of my psychology of my character that I hate. Uh, yeah, there's parts of me that I dislike, but you know, a balance, right? <laughs> Right, right. And, and I, I, I keep those parts of me, I, I respect them, right? I keep my distance. It's like, you know, hey, you got to stay back here. You're not ready to come out yet. So it's, it, was a, it was the beginning journey of learning to love myself and love all uh, of me. Love that. It, it, was, it was the, um, you know, my second ceremony, I broke through. Not only did I break through that fence, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, my mom came to me spiritually and mm-hmm. she picked me up as a five-year-old boy. But at this point, I'm a five-year-old boy with a 37-year-old mindset. And without her even speaking. You're bringing tears to my eyes. I could just see that whole visualization of that and um, that whole experience of what you felt at that moment because that's really what you wanted. You just wanted her to love you. Yeah. So she, oh. yeah she, so she picked me up. And um, without even speaking words, um, <laughs> her entire life was revealed to me. Wow. And everything about her and why, why she did what she did. And she, she told me that, you know, I, David, I was going through my own hell. And because of the way grandma and grandpa raised me, I didn't know how to deal with that trauma. And because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with it, I got lost and engulfed in my own world. And I neglected not only you, but the rest of your brothers and your sister and even dad. And, and even how that neglect, neglecting of her husband and children, that affects her. And so now you got a double whammy, right? Now you've got your subconscious mind not only beating you up because now your sister's dying or you're not at whatever point she has passed away. And then you're neglecting your kids. You're neglecting your husband. You're such a loser. And, you know, and then it's the rigmarole. The, it's the, mm-hmm. those voices every day. And so she was able to explain all this without words. And this massive void that that existed just closed up and it was no more because that part of my past had been explained. And because of everything that I had been through emotionally and physically seeing it, hearing it, it played a massive role into my helping me understand why my mom did what she did and that she never stopped loving me. Right. And that's she just what wasn't able to show the time because mm-hmm. she was going through her own hell 
didn't know how to deal with it, right? And at four or five years old, I didn't emotionally and psychologically understand what she was going through and then be able to uh, digest that, right? Um, exactly. So, yeah. Wow. That, that's just an amazing story. I love how you shared your transition of coming out of that and how you actually felt towards your mom and that whole experience. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. The most beautiful part was the next day. So I was on a Saturday. The next day was Sunday and I called my uh-huh. mom up um, and I said, mom, you got to sit down because I got to tell you something. And I was, I was open with both my mom and dad about my journeying uh, with ayahuasca. And so I called her up and I said, mom, I had my second ceremony. I really need to talk to you about it. You might want to sit down. So she's like, okay. And I began telling her about my uh, journey and she, within 30 seconds, was in tears. And she said, you know, Dave, she's like, for so long, I have wanted to talk to you about those times. And I just haven't had the words or the strength to tell you and even to know what to say. So everything that you have just told me is exactly what I've wanted to say. Didn't have the strength to do it. And you have closed a massive void in my life. So, you know, it's the healing that occurs when we start to deal or begin to deal with uh, the traumas from our past is amazing because it's not even just of self. It affects so many around us. And like, I I remember, I mean, after my first ceremony, I I had uh, seen a friend of mine, I'd gone down to to this lounge and he comes walking out and he looks at me. He's like, Dave, he's like, what happened? I said, what do you mean? And he said, your, your face, it's, your eyes are so much lighter. And I said, really? Wow. So it was your energy is probably what he felt. I'm sure your energy energy changed. (laughs) I deal a lot with energy, so I I understand energy a lot. So yeah, you and me both. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very cool. So now I know you have a project that you're working on that you've kind of used this energy to to kind of focus towards this this project. Tell us a little bit about your project that you're working on and and what you're trying to accomplish. So kind of as a, I discovered that I was an, an empath a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And back in June of 2011, June 17th, I, uh, I, shortly after my dad and I had come back from a, a trip that he'd taken me on to Alaska because I was, had just finished up with this divorce. So he wanted to get me out and go do something father and son. Awesome. I was out on a drive and, you know, trying to figure out life and organize things in my mind. And one of the things I love to do is, and especially when, you know, I got crap going on in life. If, is to go out on a drive and listen to my music and get into my mind and to think about things. And this particular evening, this idea and concept of how to organize the freeway system and even our surface streets, like, you know, with stoplights, stop signs, came to me. And I named it Lanes Granted. <laughs> I love it. So explain if you can, so they can understand what it's about. Now I've seen the drawing, so I understand it because I can see the concept, but for somebody that's just listening, can you share kind of what that is and what that. So, you know, if if you want to envision, you know, when we get onto the freeway, you get on that that, that lane, the on-ramp, 
And in that on-ramp, there will be painted sections where it'll start at about 25 miles an hour and then you go 35, 45, 55. And that lane, you know, kind of like here in California, we have the commuter diamond lane. So instead of having diamonds, you'd have your numbers and they would be lane specific. So in that lane that appears and disappears, it's 55. Uh, Based on a three-lane freeway, lane number three is 55 as well. And you want to build the consistency there. So then lane number two, you move over to the left, you go to lane number two, and now it's 65. And then in lane number one, it's 75 with an 85 max. And the reason for that is because, you know, as I was driving that night, I see, you know, all these cars going different speeds and all these different lanes. And I said, dude, there's no consistency on the freeway. You've got people who are having really good days. You've got people who are having really bad days and extremes on each one, you know, and, and you, I've driven next to people who were celebrating something massive, like they just won the lottery. I've driven next to people that were just having a, a day, I've driven next to people that were crying because they were happy, crying because they were sad. I've driven next to a few people who I knew were on their way to, to end life because things were so bad. And, you know, I've been there twice and, wow. you know, I figured out, well, I believe God blessed me with this because of what it's not so much about lane organization in my book, but, but it's more to create a system that is organized where people can find consistency because where there's consistency, there's also less stress. There's more peace peace of mind. How many people have anxiety when they're on the freeway? Yeah. I, I have clients yeah. that actually deal with that on a daily basis. Yeah. So in fact, in, in, uh, in Houston, Texas, they have wrote, um, driver's depression because they uh, driver's suicide because it, uh, they're stuck in traffic so much. And there's, you know, all these anxieties. Wow. There's, you know, people who have already been in accidents where they're now scared to go on the road or they've seen an accident or, you know, something's happened. So there's, you know, and you get the, the yahoos they're driving 80 miles an hour over in lane number three when somebody's trying to get on the road and who do they what do they know that the person getting on the road is just coming from a funeral or they're just coming from you know whatever and they're going really slow right and then they pass the 80 miles an hour this person's maybe going 45 or 35 because people do it and it, it freaks them out and there's no safety there there's no consistency there and yeah. so you know if you want to drive fast you got your lane. If you want to drive you got 65, your own lane. You got your I like lane. that. You can do 65, you got your lane. I um, really like that a lot because, and, and it makes sense because, you know, when you're getting off the freeway, you're going to slow down a little bit more before you get off. So having the higher speed in the, what you call the diamond lane or whatever, and then uh-huh. kind of progressing slower as you get closer to the off-ramp. I, I yeah. love the concept of it. I think it's a great idea. I think if it is something that will hopefully make a difference for those that are having this anxiety. If as there is no risk, it, it will. It will. Yeah. It, so so how do people actually help you with this? Because I know you've got some campaigns going and trying to pass some some things. Yeah. So right now I have about 90 signatures and, you know, I've just gotten it started. People are already starting to donate and use those donations specifically for getting lanes granted up and running. I even met with here in California, Travis Allen was running for uh, governor back in 2016. 
and ended up meeting him personally. I've been talking to him about my idea and he absolutely loves it. I've spoken with other people, you know, who have connections in Washington, D.C., who, who love my idea. They said, you know, put everything together and I'll give it to Elaine Chow, who is the Secretary for Transportation for the United States. And so, do you have to have President so many Trump. people on this petition to be able to submit that? Is that kind of no, your... not not yet. No, I, I'm I'm looking to have uh, at least three hundred thousand signatures, uh-huh. and you know, ninety. It's you know, almost ninety. I'm not that high, but I think once this gets out, it's going to catch. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I yeah. signed it. I had no problem. I'm like, yeah, let's get this to yeah. So well, you know, I, I drove for a, a company a number of years ago and I had the, op- you know, four years ago I was driving for Lyft and I had the op- perfect opportunity to talk to everybody that got in my, almost everybody that got in my car about mm-hmm. my idea. I said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? You know, trying to get a kind of a general census. And I spoke with well over, you know, 4,000 people and most everybody liked it. You know, some were like, yeah, that's a genius mm-hmm. idea. Some said, oh, that's a great idea. Some said, oh, that's stupid. It'll never happen. And for the people that said it was stupid, it never happened. I said, dude, motivator, thank you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, uh, exactly. Yeah. You're going to have people out there that do that or that and say I want that. So, I want yeah, you know, so now there's there's actually a a site they can go to, right? Is it yeah. change.org that yeah, you have? Change. Okay. Yeah, change.org. It's, yeah, it's a website for change. They, you know, people are looking, there's something they want to change the community. They can go there, create their petition. It, it catches, you know, wind and people like it. They can get donations towards it and signatures. And then once it gets enough signatures, then it can be put in for on the ballot for a vote. Nice, nice. Great. Well, so yeah, change that org and then uh, search for Lanes Granted. Lanes Granted. Okay, yeah. great. I think what you're doing is amazing. And I love that you're using the, you know, things that happened to you in your past to kind of just propel you forward to do something great in life. And I love that. I I love the whole concept of that. And I just appreciate you coming on today, sharing your story. And I know you also have a free gift for people if they just pay for shipping, right? There's something that you're offering. What is that? So it's it's hemp-derived. It's a CBD 100% 100% water soluble CBD product. Uh, okay. It is THC free. You can you can try it out. Go to my website, which is www.procbdlife.biorains, and that's b i o r e i g n s dot com. Check out our 100% water soluble and a 100% bioavailable CBD products. Perfect. Well, awesome and. And I'm guessing the CBD has kind of helped you in, in lots of ways as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm taking I've heard it really it, good things it's, about it's it. It's amazing on the mind. You know, mm-hmm. uh, our product is able to actually pass through the blood brain barrier and which, you know, other CBD products that are oil-based can't because they're, it's, they're attached. The CBD molecule is attached to a fat and that fat won't pass through the blood brain barrier. So yeah, ours, ours does because it's, it's water soluble. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today and again, sharing your story. It's amazing. I can't wait to to let them listen. I'm sure they're going to love it. And thank you again, David, for being a part of Power to Grow. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. It was a pleasure. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, 
please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you.